0: Well, last week, I, um, I had a lofty ambition to, and not a bad one, it was just a, a high standard that I was holding in the sense that I wanted to stay on a roll of doing two chapters on Thursday night per night, and, and it all came crashing down on me as, um, as I had taken a look at the clock, and I just thought, no way, Jose. It's not going to happen, because there was so much, and I knew what the following chapter entailed, where we're going to pick up tonight, and so I just I, 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 just couldn't do it. And so tonight, I will attempt two chapters once again. I'm not promising you anything, except that that's, that's the direction I want to go, okay? And so we are in First uh, Samuel chapter 27 is where we left off at. Um, now, as you make your way there, you put a, 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 a bookmark, if you don't already have one there, or, or uh, something, put it there, so that uh, you know where you're going to be. But if you will, before we get into that, uh, into our text for tonight, I want you to go over to Psalm 61. I want, I want you to be able to, to, to just kind of hear uh, a psalm that David... Had written, and uh, I just want to read the whole thing. It's not a long one, but it's an amazing one. Uh, Psalm sixty-one, beginning in verse one. There's only eight verses, and we'll cover that. He says, "Hear my cry, O God! Attend to my prayer. From the ends of the ear- from the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I." For you have been a shelter to me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in, the ta- in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O oh God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years, as many generations he shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform this vow. Now, I read I read that psalm a couple days ago as I was kind of going through the psalms and in my daily reading um, I came across that psalm. And it's interesting because last week I wasn't there yet in the book of Psalms. And so it was kind of almost neat that that I couldn't finish last week. Because it just kind of, um, as I looked at this, at this psalm, the title on that psalm is God the Shelter. And what a beautiful, beautiful psalm it is that when we are overwhelmed with life, Uh, We have a a psalm like that that really, you know, because people often say, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. And it's like, well, that's just not true. There's a lot that you cannot handle in life. And so we get truly overwhelmed with life. But when we get overwhelmed, (laughs) then we can find our shelter in Him. Because sometimes life does get the best of us. And sometimes we don't know what to do or where to turn. And so we do get overwhelmed. And David is the author of this psalm. But he didn't write it until sometime after where we are tonight in our text. It would have been nice if, if he would have written it before or even during. But it was a good time after that he writes this psalm in Psalm 61. But I wanted to read Psalm 61 before we get into um, 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel 27 especially. Because it shows us a contrast between where David was or is in our text and where he was at at the time that he wrote this psalm. Now, in in my text, uh, a lot of my Bible um, breaks have a little... Caption: a little title and the c- title here for psalm 27 is david seeks shelter he seeks shelter but as we shall see this shelter is not under the shadow of his wings he's in a different place right now and isn't that interesting that sometimes man, we are so like oh, just pressing into jesus and man oh man it's like man you could just feel his his covering and all that stuff and you're just hiding in the shelter of who he is in the refuge and then there's times (laughs) that we're not (laughs) and this is where david finds himself this evening and so first samuel 27 says "And, and david said in his heart now i shall perish someday by the hand of saul there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the hand or to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me no more or any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand, and then David arose and went over to uh, with the six hundred men who were with him to uh, Achish, the, the son of Maok king of Gath so David dwelt with Achish at Gath he and his men each man with his household and David with his two wives Ahinaam the Jezreelitess and uh, Abigail the Carmelitess Nabal's widow and it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath so he sought him no more now, I don't know how long it is between the end of chapter 26 and the beginning of chapter 27. But there's a time lapse there that, that, that happens uh, when, when he finishes in, in chapter 26 and then the beginning of it. Now, David has been a fugitive from King Saul for about seven to eight years right now at this moment it's not long after this in the next few chapters that we see that 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 finishes it ends with the death of Saul but he still has at least another year and a half or so before that even happens but he's been a fugitive for a while and and God has promised him that one day he will be a king I mean he 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 told it to the The prophet Samuel, he revealed it to him. He got anointed. And it's been a while since that anointing happened back then. At least eight years. At least. It's probably been longer than that. But he's been on the run for at least eight years. And eight years is a long time. When God promises you something, and all of a sudden you're going, okay, sweet Lord, that is amazing, man. I felt your spirit tell me that. Man, I even wrote it down in my journal. Man, oh, man, I'm so excited. And then a week passes by. And you're going, whoa, all right, Lord. Man, man, this patience thing, man, you're teaching me patience. And then a month goes by. Two months. Five months. Six, seven, eight, nine months. And you're going, whoa, Lord, let me go back to the journal just to make sure that you spoke to me on this day. You know it's been about almost a year, Lord. Since you spoke to me and you told me what you're going to do in my life. And so it's written down here, Lord. I remember the day. It was so amazing. But, you know, a year and a half, Lord, that's, that's like pushing it. Are you sure that you spoke to me? Think about it. David's been on the run for eight years. He's been living in caves. He's been out and about. He has 600 men with him. And it says his household. So you, you add that up and you're thinking, man, there's about two or 3,000 people that, that he is now responsible. He's picked up a couple of wives. Last one, picked up two. So he has all this stuff going on. And he still has a couple more years before he becomes king. And David is at a point in his life where he is tired. <laughs> he is not... At Psalm 61. Not one bit right now. It just doesn't seem like things are working out for him. Time is ticking and man, oh man, one year, two years, five years, seven years. Come on, Lord, how long is this going to last? And we have seen how God has been delivering him, preparing him, doing all these things. He promised him and he's been delivering and he has been delivered from the hand of Saul so many times before. But now he gets to the point where he is thinking, I shall perish someday. I shall perish someday, someday from the hand of Saul. And there is nothing better for me than, to, than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Come on, David! How many times has God showed up? How many times has God revealed himself? How many times has he rescued you and delivered you? And now you're thinking, I'm going to die. He's going to kill me. He has chucked spears at me. He's after me. And one of those days, that spear is going to stick. And it's not going to be pretty. And so now I need a new strategy. A new strategery here, you know. I I need to take off. I need to escape this trusting in the lord bit has not gotten me very far i'm going around in circles i'm still in the wilderness i'm still in caves and all these things and he is saying i am tired i am so tired but notice that in the first verse and there's a lot in this first verse in the first verse david says the word i and me six times six times he does that and not once does he mention the lord's name and that's a dangerous place to be (laughs) when all of a sudden it's me my uh i you know all these things it's like hey lord i'm right here man what the heck you forget about me where am i at you know this guy is going to kill me. This guy's coming after me. I have to go do this because obviously you're not coming through for me. I just haven't seen you do much lately. And we put ourselves in a dangerous place when we are escaping, <laughs> when we should be trusting. How many times has God delivered David and yet he's going, I need to escape. I need to get away. I need to stop this. And oftentimes as Christians, we often do the same thing. Instead of trusting, instead of waiting for his deliverance, instead of us running and, 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 and hiding in the shelter of his wings, we decide we need to escape to another shelter. We need to go find that shelter Instead of waiting on the Lord. And guys, it's not easy to wait on the Lord, man. Some of you guys are waiting for stuff in your life right now, and you're going, uh uh-uh, uh, man, it's just not happening. And it's like, as somebody comes around, and you know, good hearted people, it's like, well, just trust in the Lord. It's like, shut up. Just shut up. You know how long it's been? It's like, yeah. <laughs> but you want to give them good counsel. You want to encourage them because you know that God will come through. And yet when you're in the middle of it, man, oh man, that is the hardest thing, right? And I don't take that lightly even when I counsel people. And I often tell people when we're in my office, it's much easier for me to say it on this side of the desk than on your side because you've got to walk out these doors right now and go face life and get punched in the face. And hopefully not literally, but you know what I'm saying. Sometimes it it, it is a lot easier to say, hey, just trust in the Lord. And David, I'm sure he has been trusting. And right now he's at a place where he's just feeling that he can't. And and it says that David said in his heart, his heart right now is, is not in a great place. And he said in his heart, man, one day I am going to perish. And God never told him that he would perish. God told him that he would be king, not perish. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to take you uh, at least eight years, man, with this promise. But guess what? You're going to die before it ever happens. He didn't tell him that. He says, man, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And, and everything that's going on right now is, is for your help, for your preparation for what I have for you. And yet he thinks, I have to deliver myself because the Lord is not delivering me right now. It's a dangerous place. When he said in his heart that it was time for him to deliver himself than to allow the Lord to deliver him. And so David was seeking shelter for himself instead of finding himself in the shelter of the one who had delivered him time and time again. And that gets tiring sometimes because you're going, come on, Lord, do something. Do something, Lord, because I, I, I can't keep on going here. And, and you know, as I was kind of going through this um, last week, you know, and, and it, it just reminded me of a time when, when, when you remember when the Jesus dies and he resurrects and he shows himself to the disciples and stuff and and there was a time that they didn't really see him for about a week or hear from him and and it's in chapter 21 of uh of John and Peter says um I'm going fishing. I don't know if you guys remember that portion. But he said I'm going fishing. Now Peter was not saying, "Hey man, it's been a long three years of ministry and we need some R&R, man. We need to go kick back and go just go fishing." But what he was saying is I haven't seen Jesus, I haven't heard Jesus, I haven't felt much. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back because I, I I don't see anything happening right now. And this was the dangerous part that he the rest of the guys go, we're going with you. And when we decide you know what? God's not doing much. I got to go do my own thing. I got to go back to what I know that oftentimes we pull people with us. And it's interesting that that story is such an amazing story because these professional fishermen, they go out and they catch nothing They toil all night, and they come back empty-handed. And it's almost like, well, when you go do stuff on your own, you're probably going to come up empty-handed. And here's the funny thing. As it's dawning in the morning, and and, and Jesus is out there, he he, kind of says, children, have you caught anything? But actually what he's saying is, hey, you guys haven't caught anything, huh? Because they went out, because they were tired of waiting, and they decided, we're going to go do our thing. We know what to do. And it's interesting because they went back out and they had nothing to show for it. And it's interesting because Jesus says, hey, put your nets on the right side of the boat. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that when you fish on the right side, you catch all the fish. I don't know how big the ship was or this boat was, but it couldn't have been that big to where it's like, and then it fills up. It's like, what the heck? The fish couldn't have swam that way? But see, whenever we get tired, whenever, whenever we start feeling like Lord is not moving, I got to go make it happen. Oftentimes, we come up totally empty. And it was kind of sad because David decided that he would be better off in the land of the Philistines. In, in the enemy's camp than being in the presence of the Lord, even though he was going through a hard trial. Because at least he knew that Saul wouldn't have the guts to go into the garrisons, go into the, the, the land of the Philistines. So he thought, well, I know that he won't follow me here. But he is basically going from the frying pan into the fire because he's putting himself in a bad situation, as we'll see. But see, this is what happens when we lean on our own understanding. This is what we get. We we put ourselves in a bad situation because all of a sudden it's like, I ain't got time to wait on God anymore. I have to go make it happen. And when I go make it happen, something will happen, even if it's bad, but something will happen. And he puts himself in a bad situation. And David goes to Gath. (laughs) Now we've ran into that city Gath before. If you remember, Gath is where Goliath was from. And back in chapter 21, when David first starts fleeing from Saul, he is all by himself, but he has the sword of of Goliath with him. And he goes to Gath, and I think he gets himself in a situation where he's going, Oh, geez, I think they're going to kill me. And he starts acting like a crazy man. He starts pretending to be someone who he's not but he's all by himself and he's afraid that he's going to die. And that's when he goes to King Akesh and starts acting crazy to get out of the situation, and he does. But you see, back then, David was still David the giant killer. (laughs) And he was afraid of being killed, but now they all know that he is David the fugitive. It's been a few years and they know that he he is the enemy of the king of Israel who happens to be Saul. And so this time when he goes back to Gath, he has a formidable army with him. He has 600 men that are all disgruntled. They've all been on the run. And Saul would just as likely kill, kill David and the rest of the guys that are on his team. And so they go over to the Philistines. And so the Philistines, uh, the the king of Gath, he he can use some disgruntled soldiers. He's okay with that. And isn't it interesting that when we decide, because we're disgruntled, because God hasn't come through in my timing, or, or whatever it is, that Satan loves to use disgruntled Christians for his use. He's okay with that, to fight against even his own people or their own people. Achish was loving this situation. You see, the king of Gath had as much scruples or principles as Satan does here. He could care less. It's like, I'll take David, I'll take all his men. If he is the enemy of my enemy, then we become friends. But at this point, David has the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he has so much responsibility because of all the people that are following after him. And it just seems that the Lord has not come through. And that's when it seems like he is carrying what he is not supposed to be carrying. He's supposed to have been trusting in the Lord. But for him, it was like too little, too late. And so he's tired. And guys, it's a dangerous place to get tired. To get tired in your walk. And oftentimes we get tired in our walk when when the focus is not outward, when the focus is inward. And all of a sudden, we're not getting what we think we deserve to get. And guys, let us never forget what we deserve to get is judgment. (laughs) It's only by his grace. And we love his grace. Don't get me wrong but push comes to shove you deserve judgment just like i do but when the focus is this way man we get tired very easy because it's not happening the way we think and so this is not one of david's finest moments here (laughs) he will be lying and living a lie for for a, a couple years here all because he's not trusting in the lord even after, the, after all that the Lord has done for him. And so oftentimes we, um, we think that the worst place to be is in the middle of a storm or in the t- middle of a trial. You know, when, when we're right in the middle and we can't see anything around us, we think this, it cannot get any worse. But I'll tell you what's worse than being in the middle of a trial is being safe on the shore and out of God's will. Oftentimes when we think, man, if everything would just die down and, and you go make things happen and you're out of God's will because oftentimes in the, that story when Jesus tells his men, hey, get in the boat, you're going to the other side. He didn't say, hey, get in the boat and you're going to drown in the middle of the of the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> These guys would have said, no, thank you. Um, but he says, go get in the boat, we're going to the other side. See, I would much rather be in the middle of the storm in the boat that Jesus is in, knowing that I am in his will, then safe on the shore and out of his will, guys. And see, David was just tired. He said, I'm tired of the storms. I'm tired of the trials. I'm going back to shore. And it's a dangerous place to get or to be in. Verses 5 through 12, it says, And David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For which, uh, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag uh, that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men... Went up and raided the Gershonites, the Gersites, and the Amalekites. Those for those nations were inhabited uh, of the inhabitants of the land uh, from of old, as you go to shore, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive but took away the sheep and oxen and donkeys and camels and apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah and against the southern area of the Geramalites or against the southern area of Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, Lest they should inform on us, saying, Thus David did, and thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. David finds himself in a precarious situation. There's so much responsibility that he has. He, he finds himself, his men, and all the household in the enemy's camp. And he realizes that it being in that royal city in one of the capitals of Gath there, um, that he lacks freedom. To roam around and do whatever he thinks he wants to do. And he knows that he will be scrutinized for his every move. And so he goes to the king of Gath and he says, If I have found favor in your eyes. And it's interesting because he has found favor in the enemies of God. And that's another dangerous place to find ourselves, right? When the enemies of God have become our friends in that sense. Now, I'm not saying that, that we have to hate everybody, but here he is in, in the enemy camp and he is finding favor with them. And again, it's, it's, it's not a good place to be. But nevertheless, he diplomatically convinces Akesh to give him his own city so that he could Now do whatever he wants and not have to answer to Achish in one sense. And and my thought here, as I'm looking at this going, is David covertly doing the will of God? Or is he just um, conniving? Is he scheming? Is he manipulating this whole thing? And I think the latter, because of the bad situation that David has put himself in. The first part of it is that the latter part no the latter would be no the former part no i'm sorry thank you for helping me out there Bruce. i think i think he no no he, he's scheming and conniving so the latter part anyways i don't think he's doing what he's supposed to be doing i don't think he's really in god's will here even though even though god will use our boneheaded decision sometimes For his glory. And I'm not advocating that we go out and just do boneheaded things just so we can see God work. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when we sometimes put ourselves in those situations, God does come through. And and we're gonna see that even in David's life. But he is going out and he's doing these things that are that are wrong in one sense. You see, David is going out and he's raiding all these places in the southern kingdom. And he's going back and he's reporting to Achish that he's fighting against his own people. And Achish, he is loving it, man. It's like, man, you're killing your own people? Heck yes. Now, granted, all these people that he is wiping out, they were supposed to be wiped out when Joshua came into the land. By the order of, of, of Moses... They were supposed to be exterminated back then, but they didn't. And in Deuteronomy 20, it says, But the cities of these people, which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, just as the Lord commanded has commanded you lest they teach you according to do according to their abominations which they have done for their gods and you sin against the lord your god and so that's why god was wiping all these people out because of the sin that they would teach the people and they didn't didn't destroy them but now david is there and these people who should have been wiped out long ago are now being destroyed by david and yet David is not doing this according to what was said before. He's doing this because he doesn't want these guys to come and rat him out. He doesn't want these guys to, to live because they're going to come. He's like, he's attacking us because he's going over to, to, to Achish and saying, no, I'm fighting against my own people. So he's destroying everybody lest they come and call him a liar. And so he's eliminating them so that there's no survivors. And, and, and David goes and tells him all this stuff and gives him gifts of the spoils and gives him these false reports of what he has been doing. And David continues to compound lie upon lie. And, and, and it seems that he has become callous to, to what he's doing. And he's leaning on his own understanding. And this is where you get to when you become... Trusting in your own understanding and not in the Lord's understanding, you become callous, and lying is not a big deal anymore. When word got back to the people of Judah that he was attacking his, his, his enemies, well, he became more pal- popular with them. But as we shall see, David's lying, and he continues to lie, and he puts himself in, in precarious situations, in dangerous situations, Because he will definitely be pitted against his own people soon. And so in in chapter 28, it says, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Now Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums uh, and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunim. Shunim. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, neither by dream, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. Now, right away, right off the bat, verse three is a is a parenthesis, and and that will come into play um, from verse seven on. But but for right now, it, it's a parenthesis that he he reminds us of Samuel's death, and that they had been mourning, and that Saul had taken away all the mediums, all the, all the fortune tellers and, and things like that. Um, and so, although David had been lying to Achish this whole time, Achish believed him. And I thought, why, why shouldn't he? Why, why would David have any reason to die, lie to Achish? Achish knew about David. He knew about his honor all those things. So he's coming to him and he's going, Well, why would he lie to me? But I'm thinking, you know, here, here's David in this, in this situation where he is living a lie. And, and, and he is telling a lie so much that people are going, Oh, absolutely, David, because we know your character before. And it's almost a sad commentary that somebody who, is, who has been so honorable now decides to deceive people and people are, are believing him because they're going, Why should he ever lie to me? And that's a bad place to be as well. That people would trust you that much. And then when you decide that you want to start lying about things, they're going, oh, he would never lie to me. And all the while, he is. So now Achish expects David to do what he, is, he has been telling them he had been doing all this time, at least for a year and a half or so. But this time, David was going to go and fight alongside of him. And he says, you will go out with me to battle so david says to Achet, surely you know what your servant can do and it's interesting because david doesn't give him a definite yes or no here i think david's going "Mm -hmm. you know what i'm capable of doing and he's going well of course you've been telling me you've been killing all your people why not Man, you're going to come alongside, and man, we're going to be such an amazing army with all my army and your guys. Oh my gosh, we're unstoppable. And poor David, man. Because he never gives him a yes or a no, and he puts himself in a compromising situation that he can't even let his yes be yes or his no, no anymore. He can't. He's not, he knows within his heart What he is doing and what he has been scheming. Even though that cat has no clue what's going on. But David knows this is not good. Because he couldn't have answered him. He couldn't have said absolutely man. I'm there for you man. I'll go in front. I'll start the fight. He can't say that. He knows that he is now in this compromising situation. And at this point Achish trusts David so much. And believes everything that David has told him thus far. That he says... I will make you my chief bodyguard forever because everybody abhors you now in Israel, man. You are going to be my right-hand man, basically, forever because you owe that to me. I saved your life. I took you in. I've done all these things, and you've already burned all these bridges. And so in verse 4 to 6, it says that the Philistines were gathered together, as men. Nim. Shunem. Now Shunim is way up north. This battle that's going to take place it takes place in northern Israel. It's 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 east of the, the Valley of Megiddo. If you look at, at Map Four, if you have a map in your Bible, it's Map Four actually that that you could see these places that it's up in it, it, it's about a hundred miles north of Ziklag where he was where he was staying. And it's uh, southwest of the Sea of Galilee and just over the hill, Mount Tabor. It's just south of right there where this battle is going to take place. And the Philistines are on the northern side at Shunim. And Israel is at Gilboa or Mount Gilboa. In other words, Israel has the high ground. And the Philistines are in the valley. And that's why Saul is able to see the armies of the Philistines. And he knows we're in trouble. (laughs) We are so done in. He can see all of that. Now it's one thing to know that your leader is afraid. And that his heart is trembling. But it's another thing when, when the God that he is supposed to serve does not answer him anymore. That's a sad place. That's a sad place. This man who God had given his spirit to at one point, but he had taken it away because of his disobedience, God is not answering him anymore. Now this is a, quite a, a different uh, situation than when we pray, his children pray. When, when we pray and we feel like God is not answering our prayers. And let me tell you right now, God always answers his people's prayers. When we cry out, he hears us. Always. Now, it's not always a quick yes or no that he gives us. Those are amazing prayers. When you pray, he gives you like yes. And you're going, thank you. And even when he says no, you're going, I can, I can handle that. But I think oftentimes when we pray, the answer is not yes or no. And our struggle is when, 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 when we meet up with his timing. And his timing doesn't match up our timing. But it doesn't mean that he hasn't heard us. It's just not his timing yet. And sometimes there's things that he's teaching us along the way to trust him. This is totally different. In that Saul had time and time again rejected God's instructions. And so God had already taken his spirit from him. And as we shall see later, he is reminded that the spirit or or, or that the kingdom had been torn away from him. There was so much that, that Saul had already done in rejecting God and God was not obligated to answer him. I don't know if you want to turn there, but really quick, I want to turn and, and to Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 25. He says this in Proverbs, because you disdain my counsel and would, not, and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when, you, when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, when you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but, I, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord... They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with the full of their own fancies. For for the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil when we hide in the shadow of his wings he will not allow evil to overcome in our lives he won't not always in our timing (laughs) but those who disdain God's instruction who turn their backs on him he has no obligation to answer them and I like what it says. He <laughs> says, I will laugh at your calamity. And it's not that God's a mean God. He's just a just God. And it's interesting because people, they want to do their own thing. And they really don't want to regard the things of God. But when they need him, they expect him to jump right in. They expect him to be like a genie that you rub and it's like, Johnny on the spot, you got to do this for me, God. And God doesn't play that way. He really doesn't. And that's why our hearts should be turned towards Him, desiring His will. Because even in the midst of the storm, we know that He is in the boat with us. Or He comes and meets us right where He's at, where we're at. And He calms the storm in our hearts. But if we want to be disobedient, then you're on your own. And He has no obligation to you. And so in verse 7 to verse 14, it says, Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, not petite or plus size, but a medium. No, it doesn't say that part. Um, You guys are going, you read the Amplified there? Uh, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium in Endor so Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes and went and the two men with him and they came to the woman by night and he said please conduct a séance for me and bring me up and bring up for me the one that I shall name to you then the woman said to him look you know what Saul has done how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land, why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the name of the Lord, by the Lord, saying, "As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, "Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said. Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle and Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Man, what an interesting part. This should have been for next week around Halloween. Huh? But, um, no. you know what I thought is interesting? <clears throat> now, to get to Endor from where he is at, now, I I found this little side note. Um, Do you remember, for you older people, the sitcom Bewitched? Remember Samantha's mom's name? Endora. Isn't that interesting? And here we have the city of Endors. You younger people, look it up on Google. Um, You'll love it. Um, But anyways, in order for Saul to get to Endor, he would have to Pass very close to where the philistines are and i'm thinking he is willing to risk it all right now because he is so afraid he is so consumed with uh, with terror that he's willing to go up there to this medium who 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 he has already outlawed but more than that that he had outlawed uh, outlawed it the law of moses had also outlawed it now, it's interesting that God never said that these spiritists or these, these this witchcraft, if you will, God never said that it wasn't real. He just said, don't mess with it. And so it, he says this in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 13. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his sons or his daughters pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. And he never said, oh, it's a bunch of you know he says don 't mess with it don 't mess with it and time you have to disguise yourself to go do something, stop, just stop Any time you have to do it under the cover of darkness, just stop it just knock it off you 're not going to go into, to a good place when you have to do those kinds of things now it 's interesting because this woman more than likely had been dealing with demons. Uh, that she was familiar with. Because she was familiar with that stuff. She would conjure up spells. She would do these things. She would say, well, who do you want to talk to? And more than likely, it would be a demon that would appear and pretend to be whoever this person is. Because those guys have a database on all of us. You know, if we have spoken it, man, they know it. And that's why sometimes, man, some of this stuff that kind of looks hokey. It's like, now, nah, man, there's a lot of dem- demonic stuff going on there. And that's why sometimes they can say things, they're going, oh my gosh, you know, but you've spoken about it or you've let, let things on. But anyways, so all of this stuff, it's, it's almost like this lady, she understands that side of the spirit world. But she freaks out when she saw Samuel and she cried with a loud voice. In other words, she was not familiar with this side of the spirit world. That freaked her out demons weren't freaking her out but this one kind of and Samuel asked the woman to describe the man that she saw and Saul knew that it was Samuel and the fact that he is ascending and not descending he is ascending from the earth and not descending speaks of the story not a parable but the story of the rich man and Lazarus when he's talking about the paradise in Abraham's bosom and how it's in the in the depth of the earth. And so that's in Luke chapter 16, but 15 through the end of the chapter here says, So Samuel said to Saul, what's an amazing statement there, because Saul has been dead. And Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am in deep distress. For the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and does not answer me any more, neither by prophet nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done for himself as he spoke. By me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord to execute the fierce wrath upon upon, uh, Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel into the hand of the Philistine. And tomorrow... You and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately uh, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him. For he had eaten no food all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul and said that he... Was uh, uh, that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the, the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you would have strength when you go on your way. But he refused. And said, "I will not eat." So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and heeded his voice. Then she arose from the ground. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And he took flour, and she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread for it. Uh, from it, so she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate then they rose and went went away by night man oh man what a sad story the amazing thing is that god permits actually permits samuel to come back and speak to saul and you're kind of like what how is that possible but if you remember in the mountain of transfiguration when, when, when Jesus was there and Peter, James, and John, Moses and Elijah were there. And again, it just kind of goes to show you once again, man, there's life after this grave. There's life after this life. And God allowed Samuel to go and he says, hey, tomorrow, uh, guess where you're going to be at? You have an appointment for tomorrow and you're not going to be late. Now again, he didn't say, hey, you're going to be on this side or that side. He just said, we're gonna, you're going to be with me. And again, um, wherever he was at, I don't know. But be that as it may, the message that he gives them is right on and true. And that's not always the, 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 the case with these fortune tellers and mediums. Because if they truly told the people what they knew about them, they probably wouldn't have repeat uh, customers and so they tell people what they want to hear oftentimes. and so this is how we know that this is so true because God tells them the truth this is what's going to happen tomorrow and this is why because you rejected God God has rejected you what a sad sad commentary and man I got the two chapters in so uh, let's stand as we pray and let's do one last song man father in heaven blessed be your name Lord father even in this story in the situation that just kind of blows our minds, the fact that you would allow Samuel to come back and prophesy one more time, to share with, with Saul what would become of him, Lord God, it trips us out. But Lord, you could do whatever you want, when you want, how you want. And who could stop you, Lord? You raise the dead, <laughs> and you're able to use those who have been dead speak and to minister. Lord, again, it just shows us that there's life eternal in you. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, many of them who are battling life right now. And some of them are going to walk out these doors right now, Lord, and get co by the enemy and the things that they're battling with, Lord. And I pray for them right now that they would not lean on their own understanding that they would lean upon you and trust you, Lord, no matter what they're going through, Lord. That, Lord, as they seek your face, as this poor man cried out, it says in Psalm uh, uh, 34, that you will hear him and deliver him. So, Lord, please, Lord, instead of us escaping, thinking that we need to go do this on our own, that we would allow you to deliver us from what we're going through. So bless my brothers and sisters. Minister to them right now, right where they're at, Lord. God, comfort them and encourage them. But we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys, man.